Are you ready for the divine feminine revolution? Let's get vulnerable and go deep. Hello and welcome to the Divine Feminine Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Megan Monday, and I'm so excited to have um, a friend and colleague here, um, Dr. Isabella. And um, where do I even start with you? You're so talented. Um, not only are you a psychologist, but you are an alchemist. Um, you help people with sovereignty and leadership coaching. I'm just going to go ahead and let you do a brag intro so you can say all the good things. <laughs> so much that you do. Thank you. Thank you, Megan, for having me here. Um, well, I'm a business and love leadership coach, sovereignty coach. I think of myself more as a mentor than a coach, um, really guiding people through the process of creating or embodying rather safety and trust within their own body so that they can really come into their entrepreneurship in a way that is in, in integrity with their energy, with their nervous system. So it's really a lot about nervous system regulation, emotional regulation, and being able to hold space in their love relationships and in their business, and even in their relationships with their kids. Like it's all, all relationships are encompassed in that. That's beautiful. And let me like plug your stuff because I did your membership a while back and it was such a powerful experience of like moving emotions through the body and doing that somatic work and just like exquisite community and sisterhood. And it was just such a powerful, and um, this was a while ago, so I don't know where the price yeah. is now, but it was super, super accessible. Yeah. And just such powerful work. And I was so inspired by it. So I just want to plug your, is that something you're still doing? Yeah, I'm definitely still doing it. The community has expanded. Like there's so much more that's in the container now. And it's just like $79.99 a month. And oh. you get like, you know, for the yearly subscription, you get two months free. It's just really like the most accessible way to get this work. And such powerful work. I mean, yeah. I'm sure you do different things in your in your one-on-ones or, you know, in your higher level containers. But the amount of transformation just with yeah. it was like mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. Thank like you. <laughs> um, and, you know, you and I kind of have that in common, our background as psychologists, but then we really have that interest in like somatics, body work, energy, you know, and yeah. love to see. I feel like that is the, the, the paradigm shift that needs to happen in psychology is to kind of bridge those things and, and really like allow for the healing piece. Um, because I feel like the best therapist and psychologists are healers and that's why absolutely so many clients tell me over the years um you know like I've seen five therapists and nothing worked you know and then I came to you and in my mind that's because I integrate the the healing and the alchemy and the same kind of you know, yeah it's, it's where the science meets the magic like science and magic they're one right it's like, it's like spirituality and humanity it's actually one thing <laughs> um yeah. And I think science is just trying to pin down the magic, you know, which you can't always do. <laughs> yeah, I love that, um, that model there. So, um, so you have been on quite a journey yourself. Do you want to give us a little bit? You were on the podcast. You were actually one of my favorite initial interviews. Oh, thank you. Um, so it's been, I don't know, I think coming up on two years for the pod actually maybe in November yes it oh. was in August where I interviewed with you yeah so tell us like catch us up a little bit on what's been going on in your life and and how your programs have been evolving 
Yeah, well, you know, but, but you know, my personal professional life is like, like one domain over here, one domain over here, but they, but they do cross over. Um, well, the last time I talked to you was in August of 2020. <clears throat> um, actually, in December of 2020, I kind of retired as a therapist from, from the therapeutic model. And, and I had already been in the process, like during the, that, during 2020, during the initial months of the pandemic, I was really like, I had, um, at the end of 2019, I had separated from my now ex-husband and I had been in the process of like knowing that I wanted to be uh, polyamorous, but really preparing my body for the experience and really like looking deeply within myself to the parts of me that were like ambivalent about relationships, kind of like, yeah, I don't really want that. And being like, okay, well, what is it that you want? Like get really clear. Do you want to be in relationships or do you not? And I did a lot of work with healers over the course of that year and in initially in 2021. And then <clears throat> April rolled around. I know that there was some full moon happening and I was just like, all right, I'm ready. Like it finally dropped in the full body. Yes. To being. Yeah. And when that happened, I was just like, yep. And I know who my first lover is going to be. It's this person I've been talking to over Instagram and da, 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 you know, and just really like brought the experience in. I was ready for it. And even though I, I, you know, I'd been counseling polyamorous couples for a long time as a therapist. And, um, and so I was, it was really about not so much about the structures of polyamory that I was interested in, but about the deeper pieces, about like the intimacy pieces and the things we get caught up in, like the stories or the nervous system dysregulation, like just looking at the deeper aspects of it. And I knew that I was prepared on that level. And even still, I was shocked by how activated parts of me got in, in that initial relationship, even though it was like extremely joyful, so healing, like big shame release, you know, just around like my desire to love, to love many and to have healing experiences around sex right? It, was, it wasn't just about love, but it was also about like spiritual sex and spiritual partnerships. I love that. What a patriarchy buster to relate. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I think that was part of the, the shame release was just like, you know, any, any sort of religious conditioning that had been sort of in my ancestry and patriarchy. Oh, with blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's so powerful. And, and I love that you that's definitely one of my passions as well is um, just really exploring sacred sexuality because yes. I feel like that is the the lens that's the thing um, in modern day sexuality because it can be such a healing practice. Yes. Um, done with trust and, you know, reverence and devotion. Yes. Oh. I love that word reverence. Yeah. Yeah. And my first partner was so perfect for me because I just, you know, after having been married for, or having been partnered with my ex-husband for 20 years, it was, you know, it was very new. I felt like it was like, kind of like a teenager, kind of like, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I felt so incredibly awkward. And, you know, I just, I needed a lot of patience and acceptance and just kind of like approval of just like, yep, it's okay. You can take your time and, you know, da, da, da. And, I, and I needed that. I really needed that. So that was really healing experience 
just that piece of it, just the patience was very healing for me. Yeah. So like, how did you work up the kind of courage to go for it? Like, I love that you said that you waited until you got the full body. Yes. Yeah. A little bit about, you know, what did you have to kind of unravel as far as the conditioning or own identities? That's a great question because I, I knew, I knew that I had made some massive mistakes in my marriage, right? I had like I had been in a codependent relationship. I had codependent tendencies just because of how I had been raised. And then I had this other really hyper-independent part. Like, you know, there's like, they seem like polar opposites and yet they both lived inside of me. And it was really like at that point, the hyper-independent piece that I really need to work on because I was just kind of like, yeah, like I was just saying, like, I don't want relationships. And I Ah, I could go for the rest of my life and just be by myself and I'd be fine. And just sort of this very like isolated hermit, like kind of thing. And I had to like, as part of the, like, I, so I decided to be intentionally celibate. And of course, COVID helped with that. Um, <laughs> and during that time, I, you know, I was communicating with this person that I ended up um, um, having as my first lover but I was communicating with him and I remember like he had reached out to me initially and my initial response was suspicion. What do you want? And I was like, oh, what is that? Like, why am I so suspicious? Like, like, you know, like, what is it? Is it around men in general? Is it just anybody that gets close to me? It's like anybody who expresses interest. And I sort of, I, I was digging deeper and I just was feeling this bigger suspicion of, of like when somebody f- feels desire, how, how does my body react? I, I react with judgment, like, mm-hmm. like sexuality, like some aspect of sexuality is bad. Like, don't bring that to me or, or I, something is going to get taken from me was the fear. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I had to unravel that. And then the other piece was, was the hyper-independence of just like, yeah, I don't really feel like I want to even do this. It's too messy and hard right? Is what my brain was telling me, but it was just this, this fear of intimacy, just this really deep level fear. And what, what the part of the process of clearing that was really getting in touch with my loneliness, because I, I rarely feel lonely. You know, I'm really happy being by myself, you know, da, da, da. and that's partly why I'm solo polyamorous is because I just really don't want a partner in my space all the time. But, um, but I had to get in touch with my loneliness to really go in that space and really like, basically I just, I felt at that time, like that the universe had me by the scruff and was like putting my face on the sidewalk and being like, do you want to be in a relationship or not? And I'm like, yes, I do. Many of them. (laughs) It It really felt like that. I'm just really like, I surrender. Yes, I do. I do want a relationship. You know, and then, and then that really opened me up. It's like, okay, like I want it. So I'm going to get it. Here we are. I'm open to it. Bring it. Yes. I love that. I felt the awareness. We were kind of talking in the green room, you know, with, we've both had uh, a polyamorous clients in the past yeah. and I love serving the LGBT community. We listen to the podcast, you know, identified as bisexual and, you know, I think it's really easy to, um, be you know because I have a male partner and married I have a kid like people just automatically assume like the hetero bubble yeah 
we're both in the pleasure community. And so I really like resonated with what like to, especially with the psychologist piece, like to come yeah. um, with my full personhood and all of my identities and also my sacred sexuality. I, I really resonate with some of those responses of feeling like, is this okay to like put out there? Like, will, yeah. is it safe for other people to see me in this way? And so yeah. like resonate with that. And I think, um, it's really powerful to see like the pleasure community coming forward with really like embodied sexuality and also like what you're doing with your your workshop and your upcoming programs, like really educating people about if they're curious, um, if if they're wondering yeah. what it's like, like how to go for it. I yeah. for my bisexual awakening kind of came like later. Yeah. I had a few experiences, um, but uh, like. I had this fear when I got really serious with my partner that like I would like sort of have that like midlife lesbian awakening and like leave. And that was like a big fear of mine. And so I wish that I had had like a mentor or a guide to really like walk me through what are my actions. And, you know, yeah. we had people on the podcast talk about like ethical polyamory and different things. Um, and I feel like there just wasn't that lens you know 10 15 20 years ago and so oh absolutely not is so innovative so tell us more well um you talked about sacred sexuality and I that's part of I missed talking about that part because you know as as part of my part of my celibacy a big piece of my celibacy was around stoking my own fire stoking my own sexual fire and really enjoying my sexuality for myself and and preparing myself, like filling myself up with me before I shared me with somebody else. So that was really important because I think that, you know, sort of from a patriarchal standpoint, like we are consumed, right? Mm -hmm. Like women's, women's energy and like any, any, anybody can be sexualized, right? However you identify, but, but women especially are, are like taken from just, you know, like uh, when you think about rape culture, when you think about advertising and media and things like that were always being sort of taken and there's gaze upon us and all those things. And I was like, no, I want my gaze to be absolutely mine. Mm -hmm. I, and I, and I began a selfie practice where I was, I would take pictures of myself with clothing and without clothing, but really about like, I want to see myself. I want to enjoy myself. I'm going to take over the lens. And that was a huge part of what, what enabled me then to like, to share my sexuality because I felt like really like I was like bathing in it on a daily basis. And I feel like I fell in love with myself in the process of, of like shifting the gaze, you know, and becoming the, the eye of the beholder. So that was really big for me. And in terms of my own journey around like sexuality, I, you know, I came out as I remember like being 12 years old and being knowing that I was queer, but not really understand. I mean, I was, I grew up in Puerto Rico. So it's like, you're a man or you're a woman. <laughs> and so, or you're gay and it, and it looks a very particular way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I knew I was queer, but I didn't really understand how. And I came out as bisexual in high school because it's sort of like the options, right? Like, but, it, and I was, and it was interesting because I, I, lived in San Francisco for a few years in my twenties for two years in my twenties. And I was, I was in the, you know, in the queer trans community there. And I was, you know, in the process of kind of like possibly entering a polyamorous kind of like 
polycule of some sort, a polycule. And, um, and then I met my now ex-husband. And it's really funny because it's like I, had, I was on this path already. And then went like, and I just made a choice to go down this one. And, you know, while I was married with my, with my now ex-husband, you know, I was committed. We never talked about open relationship until things were sort of falling apart. But that was only as a way to sort of like rescue the relationship because I just, I just couldn't be married. And it really was less about him, but, and more about the structures of marriage that I just could not, it just felt too confining for the way that I wanted to love, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's, you know, I was, I was absolutely loyal and, you know, like I didn't have eyes for anybody else. And when I, when I exited that relationship, I knew that that's what I wanted to explore because I had been exploring it with my, with my clients. And I was just like, yeah, I want that. <laughs> it's a good little preview, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just kind of like, oh, we're going. Yeah. My clients are always like that, right? They just like bring your stuff to you, you know? Yeah. And I've kind of noticed it does seem just like in my anecdotal experience working with clients, like I found that the people that have had the most success within it, a lot of times both partners are sexual. Like there is mm. sort of that um, piece. I don't think that has to be true, but I've just kind of noticed that where like there was maybe a piece where just by nature being attracted to like both, you know, both genders or, or all people or, or however you identify, um, you know, that 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 worked a little better than say like a like a like a heterosexual more like breathe or something like that you know yeah and I think that's partly because there's already like you know when you have when you open that Mm -hmm. you sort of you widen the option right there's just there just has to be more flexibility internally Mm -hmm. for desire and for needs and wants and all of that kind of stuff and so it feels like I feel like it translates into nervous system capacity a little bit more. Yeah, it just that like, that that openness the to experience the direct experience, and just like I, I think you know, if like say one partner is bisexual um, and other partner is heterosexual, you know, like I think yeah. there's a fear on the on the heterosexual part because they just don't understand like what's happening and how the, yeah. the dynamic necessarily. So, yeah, yeah, and but, to be a- And my focus is on intimacy wounds. So even like what you just shared now is like so much of our, um, our behavior in relationships is driven by our fear of loss Mm -hmm. so much. And, and if like we, if we really like, that's why creating safety and trust in your own body is so important because it's like, you have to know at some level that even though your, your partner or your lover will leave you you'll still be okay. And oftentimes we don't know that in our body. We have this sort of, we have that understanding like, oh yeah, like I'll be devastated, but I'll be okay. But we have to also know that in our bodies. And often like, yeah, like I don't want to lose my partners, but it's like, I know that I can let them go. I know that I can let them go. And I can, I know that we can shift our relationship out of a sexual one, sexual one into one that is still like, mutually honoring, reciprocal, respectful, you know, all those things and, and maintain, you know, shift into something else and be like, okay, what else can happen here? Right. So like coming out of a marriage and like starting today, um, was it like starting all over again? Like, did you feel like a teenager? 
Like, how was I still feel like a teenager, Megan. <laughs> I am actually in my mid-20s right now. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was some <laughs> Yeah, like, you know, my, my sex drive is, was really high. Like, not in my marriage. I feel like I did a lot of, um, like, the internal work and, and also, like, balancing my, my chemistry because I was sick for a long time getting all that fixed up, so to speak. Um, I had a really high sex drive and I like enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And, you know, my, my summer last summer, when I really began my, my journey concretely and practically my practicum in polyamory, um, I called it my summer of slut because I was just like, I am going to really explore it all. And it was like, I approached it like psychological field work, like I'm going all in. And of course, with the utmost respect for the people that I was interacting with and even like even the people like I never got to meet in person. It was just really like respectful and like, this is what I want. This is what I'm doing. It was, I was very clear about my intentions. And so, you know, some really beautiful relationships came out of that. And I'm still in contact with with people that that were close to me. And so I'm, I'm really grateful for that. You know, you know, I feel like there's a parallel. I feel like we're moving out of kind of a linear timeline and into yeah. more of a fluid, you know, like less definitions and identities and that kind of thing. And so I, I think it kind of makes sense that like, I feel like the whole world just kind of opened up for you when you went for it. And so I think it makes sense that more and more people are going to be wanting that because we're like shedding this false skin of the patriarchy and colonialism and just all of the the shame and conditioning and stuff that tells yeah. us a certain way. Right. Um, and for me, I always feel like it's uh, like I just love humanity so much. And so like why wouldn't I, you know, be attracted to like, you know, all people. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like that and that's what I would tell people. Like I love humanity. And when I make love to a body, I'm making love to the human, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm making love to this body that contains this human spirit. Like for me, that's the way that I approach sexuality, you know? Um, and you said something earlier about like the timeline piece. There's, you know, we're really starting to question, you know, monogamy in and of itself is not, is not a bad option for people, right? It's not wrong. And yet there are aspects to it that can be toxic, right? That can be, that can be very limiting and that really like confine love that really um, promotes sort of this colonized idea of love. And I think that part of the timeline piece is really expanding how we love, mm -hmm. who we love, right? All of that is opening way up, you know? Yeah, yeah. And even like, I mean, you know, my, my path, you know, it's in my astrology and everything is like, my path is about getting to know who I am via relationships, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and that really has been like each person that I have had the privilege of sharing my energy with, right. Sexual or otherwise has been just this like, oh, I didn't know that about me. And here is this new part of myself. I get to uncover and explore and play with. And you know, recently um, I began dating a transgender transgender woman, um, and that was that was new for me. And I really discovered 
in that in that process of like falling for her that I've always been attracted to transgender women, but because of my socialization, I wasn't allowed that because it's like, you know, all of the ideas that we have about like the, the, oh, about, you know, transgender women are men in skirts and are interlopers into women's spaces, like all of that toxicity. Like I had to release that as part of my process of loving her. And um, so that was like, and then I was like, you know, I always thought of myself as pansexual and it was sort of a confirmation of just like, yeah, like I just love a soul, a person, like it doesn't really matter the package they come in, you know? Um, so yeah, that, that was also like a new discovery for me that, that I think is part of the process of loving more than one is like, we get to discover parts of ourselves. We, and, and I think that that's from a soul's perspective, that's what we want. Like we want to know ourselves and we get to do it through relationship. We get to do it through lots of different things, but relationship is one of the vehicles. Absolutely. I've had a lot of trans clients um, and trans teen clients, and I just feel like I've learned so much from, you know, working with those people because, uh, like, talk about transformation, right? If we want to learn about transformation. Yes, hello. <laughs> transformation. <laughs> And especially like in the young people coming forward, I really do see like, I don't know exactly what the numbers are, but it seems like there's a shift in like the people maybe under 20 that they're, that that's becoming more and more an option. And I do just feel like that that may be, um, you know, certain souls are coming in to like sort of heal the gender disparities and all yes. the they're toxic about gender roles. And mm. so. I really, you know, and I've done a lot of work, like, you know, helping people come out to their parents and like explaining it to the parents and helping the parents do their grief. That's been, you know, um, like sort of signing off on surgeries and hormones and things like that. And so I, I feel like to me, that's been some of the most rewarding advocacy work that I've done as a psychologist. And I think that there's like, to me, it's really exciting that like, instead of black and white, you know, we are we're transitioning, you know, like as a culture into yeah. the space. have to be this extreme or that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like I, I joke often about like, you know, smashing binaries, like mm -hmm. all our work internally and externally isn't smashing binaries, right? Like black, white, male, female, like all of the binaries you can think of, even like, you know, even politically the way that we hold binaries and so like, I am pro this and anti that. Right. Like to to be more in the complexity and the grayscale of our human experience. Mm -hmm. And we know, like from the psychology perspective, that like black and white thinking, you know, sort of is related to depression. And yeah. Yeah. Dialectic. And that's been such a focus of my therapy work. But it's really exciting to see that, like, kind of come forward, you know, like globally in our culture of really just recognizing that there are so many limitations to putting people in boxes and yeah. this narrow sliver of you know, what's available to us, then, you know, to me, it seems like you have so much more like freedom and the ability to be fully expressed by. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, like loving in this way has its bumps, right? Like I don't have the security of an anchor partner or a primary partnership, right? Like I do get hit with moments where I'm, where I realize like I am actually fucking alone. <laughs> Right. Like I'm connected to these people and people who love me. And yet I am, I really do fend for myself, you know? And so there are, 
there's ways that polyamory can be really beautiful. And there's ways where, you know, I notice that it we have more opportunity, there's more opportunities to heal. And and you know, those healing experiences often come through activations mm-hmm. of feeling the part of myself that wants to like, I want them to belong to me, or I want to belong to them, or I I don't feel included, or I feel left out, or I feel left or abandoned, right? All of those pieces do come in and just, was it yesterday? Yesterday morning, I was driving home after dropping my kids off at school. And I just had this like stream of tears come down my face because I was just, it just got flooded for a moment with all of the people who have come in and out of my life and being like, so grateful for the love that I received and gave, but also like, they're not with me anymore. Like, I don't like love them like that. And it's changed. And I have to like, let go of what was, you know? So it's, it's a constant like process of meeting like grief, like saying hello and goodbye. And sometimes I feel like, you know, when you, when I think about the people who have come into my life, I feel like I've, I've come into people's lives when, when there has been a lot of chaos or transition or crisis and I'm there for them. And then the relationship moves on. And I'm just like, what the, f-? you know, part of me is like, what the fuck? Like the human part of me is like, no. And the spiritual part of me is just like, yeah, like I supported you through this process. We were lovers. We were connected. We, I, you know, I offered my, like my, my deepest presence to you in that time. And, and then you were able to like move on and, and up level to something else. And, you know, so I can see it from both lenses and, you know, different parts of me have different opinions about how that feels. And, and, but ultimately, like, I think that we need to, like, one thing that I really teach people is like, you need to get clear about why you're doing this. Why are you in this? Why are you choosing this path? Is it, is it because, you know, you want a lot of attention or do you, do you feel, which is okay. Um, do you feel like you want to have sexual variability? Do you feel you want to heal through kink? Like everybody has a different reason and that reason is totally okay. And it also guides how you approach your, your relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned your kids, like, have you come out to them? Like what, what has happened like? Yeah. Yeah. For a long time, I kept it very separate. I kept my, my work life. My, <laughs> I feel like polyamory is my work. Um, my, my personal life away from them, because I, you know, as a solo person, it's like, no, you're not going to be staying over the night when my kids are here, like very clear boundaries about that. And then when I met my, this, this woman I was talking about, um, that shifted my, my sort of my, my paradigm around my own gender fluidity and, and attraction to transness, um, it was just very clear that she, like, she was somebody that I wanted my children to meet. And so she did. And that, and that felt like a good moment, you know, to ask them like, Hey, you know, and I saw that their father was also on a dating profile and I was like, okay, so this is the time to have this conversation. Like, how do you feel about mom and dad possibly like meeting other people? And they're like, oh yeah, as long as they're like this person and this person, like really cool people that we have in our greater group of friends that it's cool. And I was like, well, what about my friend? And they were like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. We like her, you know? 
And then, and that was totally natural because my kids go to school with, there's like three or four kids between my two daughters' classes who are transitioning, right? Who are trans. And so that was very normal for them. And then recently we went to a pride parade last Saturday, actually. And my daughter's asking me about all the, all the little flags. What about this flag? And I was like, oh, that's Polly. Yeah. Like I did, that's me. And then it's like, what about this? Oh, that's the pansexual. That's also me. What about this? Oh, that's gender fluid. That's also me. And she's looking at me like, all right, mom. <laughs> oh my gosh. I yeah. Yeah. I've taken my daughter um, to Pride since she was a baby. And I just, I feel like it's such a powerful community. Yes. So much like, I mean, it's like a visceral sense of belonging. Yes. And, um, just like I wrote a post about it, uh, which only got a couple comments. I was a little disappointed, to be honest, um, <laughs> about just working in this community. And I was like, wow, like, I feel like I have so many you know, pro LGBT people in, in my life and like no one, you know, supported that post in particular. But, you know, I think it's still one of those things that's like a little edgy, but like, I really encourage people to like investigate it and go to the pride, even if they're an ally, because it is such a powerfully healing experience. Absolutely. And my kids, you know, I think it was very powerful for my kids because, you know, it is sort of like, a like an immersive experience. You know, it's like we do live in a sort of heteronormative world and to be then immersed in a queer one, it's just like, oh, you know, just by contrast, but just by the experience of contrast. And, you know, my older daughter, who's 10, she got to see really young people who were queer, you know, and she's like, she's not, you know, into anyone right now. She's just kind of in her books and in her like, you know, literary world, but it was just nice for her to see. And I could see in her eyes, like, oh, like I get to have all of these options. Like there's so many ways to be in relationship. And that's like, that's all that I want them to have. It's just like options. You have options. Don't limit your lens, right? Like you have options. You can love who and how you want. Love that. Um, I had kind of been circling back to something you said earlier. Um, I sort of had the same experience um, in grad school. I ended up dating uh, this fellow that was a little bit unstable, so maybe a narcissist or, or borderline or something. And um, I sort of had that moment of like swearing off men. And then, and then I met my husband like directly after. And so it, it, he's very open-minded and um, has both a strong feminine and masculine. And, um, but it was one of those moments of, um, like the universe of being like, what? <laughs> really? Like I finally decided to go for it. And then you bring me this like great guy, like, uh. um, <laughs> so I think it's one of those things that I work with a lot as you do, you know, like really powerful women. And I find that a lot of times, um, not all because there's amazing, like divine masculine men out there. I have one, like they are out there, but. I do find a lot of men are intimidated by powerful women and that like almost like the more powerful the woman is, like the harder sometimes they find, find like trying to find a, a mate, you know, that is a man. And so like a lot of times mm-hmm. they're possessive or they're jealous or they're territorial of, mm-hmm. you know, the woman's power and her sexuality and things like that. And so I just, I feel like, uh, you know, obviously like gender roles have created so much 
um, trauma, you know, rape culture and hyper masculinity and hyper femininity and, you know, these cycles of like abuse and all kinds of things. And so I think, um, you know, that's why um, this is really where like on the Divine Feminine Revolution podcast. Yes. Not to exclude the masculine, um, but in my mind, it's like the matriarchy is rising. And, and I feel like it's such a powerful counterpoint to the patriarchy because where the patriarchy has been exclusive and has been domination culture and power over people, I really feel like the matriarchy is inclusivity and freedom of expression. And like you said, like choices and options and like you can just do what you want versus you have to be in the small sliver of you know, you have to be in your box and you have to be you know, yeah. under the power and control system. So yeah. yeah. Curious, a little bit of a rant, but what's your take on that? Yeah. My take is that, you know, I, because I, I am attracted to queerness and fluidity. I, I feel like I've had a lot of luck or, or maybe just, I've just attracted, you know, people in my life who are very aware of how, you know, if I date cis a cis man they're very aware of how the feminine lives in them you know and they're people who maybe paint their fingernails or you know have some sort of expression outward as well as sort of this inward holding of the feminine and so i feel like i've been really lucky i i think that's sort of it, it, with the rise of feminine energy or with this like this realization that this is what has been suppressed for such a long time it just gives everybody regardless of, you know, your gender identification, it just gives everybody opportunity to just locate that within themselves, you know? So I really feel like that's where we're going with, with the goal, if there is a goal, to balance that out within each person. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think it's that, that healing energy of the receptive, the, the mystery, you know, I think does. Yes. I mean, gender, I feel like it does the more feminine piece and that's what's been missing and that's why so many people are suffering yeah yeah and I mean we you know I I, I we call we talk about masculine and feminine because it's like how do we we don't have the language yeah. we you know I I tend to use receptive like and active just because like I don't like using feminine and masculine because I don't feel that within me but language is limited and so just as a shortcut like you know let's you know, let's talk about it, but they can't live apart. They, they, they need each other, yeah. you know, they were, they're both inside of us. You know, yes. Have, you know, masculine and feminine or, you know, receptive or, active, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, so tell me a little bit about your workshop that's coming up. Like if listeners out there are listening to our stories and they're kind of curious. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people are scared to kind of go for it because maybe they have a good thing going already or they yeah. get lost in like the people pleasing of multiple relationships. Like give us a little like intro. Yeah. Primer on what you're kind of teaching that. Yeah. Well, it is a primer, right? Like um, the, the event I'm having on June, Tuesday, June 14th at 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. It's a two hour donation based course called the, um, the polyamory primer. And it's really, the intention is to really get clear on the stuff that gets you stuck in polyamory, which is usually like our fears around intimacy, right? The fear of annihilation or the fear of engulfment, right? These sort of universal fears that are actually in our nervous systems that lead to 
um, you know, arguments or conflicts or flare-ups or activations. And so just really giving people a rundown of like, these are the, you know, I, I say, um, these are the four areas to assess, right? Like around values, your motivation, desires, all of that stuff, four areas to assess. You're going to get the five intimacy wounds, like the five things that get in the way. And I'm going to give you one somatic tool to be able to meet yourself when you get activated, to meet yourself in a way that actually helps dissolve the activation, right? That helps like actually heal with you being the healer and the person being healed. Okay. So that's, that's what I'm offering. It's like very... There's a lot of information that I'm going to share, but I really want to keep it to the to the four five one, you know, thing because I want people to have like just enough to be able to have a conversation with their partner if they are partnered and wanting to open up their relationship, or if they're solo and really like, okay, now I feel clear about how I want to approach. Um, I know sort of what to look out for within myself and to sort of be self-referenced. You know, and it's like, as I was telling you in the green room, like recently I got into a situation where it's like, yes, I do this work and man, do I get caught up in it myself? Like in this effort to like, you know, I I still have my shit around wanting to be liked and wanting to be liked in a particular way. And I didn't, I lost sight of in this development of a, in this relationship that I was developing and growing I got caught up in that a little bit and I started to, I was out of integrity with my own energy. Um, I noticed that I was overextending myself. And all of a sudden when I noticed it was like, like when that awareness came in, I was like, and stop. (laughs) And I immediately had the conversation with this person and we worked it out and we decided to end our sexual partnership because it's like, that's where I was kind of getting caught up and I wanted to be liked sexually in a particular way. And I noticed that my, my nervous system got hooked in there and we were able to like have the conversation, you know, feelings were hurt. I'm still grieving that loss. And it was, it was a decision because like I was out of integrity. And so we get caught up in these ways and we, you know, I don't want people to make themselves wrong. These are all opportunities for course correction, for growth, right? Like a lot of people approach polyamory because they want to grow. And those are the people that I want to work with. If you're in it for the growth, if you're in it for the expansion, if you're in it for decolonizing your ideas around love and partnership, then yes, like come into the workshop. It's going to be amazing. Love it. I also want to plug, you have some hysterical reels. <laughs> I love following you, go. Uh, and like you did one about, I think, like people pleasing or something and wanting, like, you know, coveting that, like, compliments. Yes, yes. It's so hard. And I just love, like, um, I really think you have such a unique voice and um, you're really doing things like different than just your, like, you know, like, you know, like the pointing reels. Yeah, yeah. I have one coming up. I did do my, I think it's like my second or third pointing reel. Totally. Okay. I mean, I'm not hating on the pointing reels, but I'm just saying like you have a really powerful voice that comes through and you're so funny. So I just love when those two things like marry together is so awesome. So definitely check out Ishabella on um on IG and check out the reels and everything. Um so powerful. Um 
So yeah, like I just really appreciate like, you know, sharing your experience and, and making it so visible because I think it really does uh, highlight for people that there's more choices and more identities, more relationship types um, available. To them. So that's yeah. Really Thank you so much. We got, um, this is, this workshop is kind of the promo for uh, uh, a different program. Like tell us what yeah. Yeah, so I'm um, the primers on the 14th and I'm going to be, you know, after that launching a five week course where um, where I really guide folks through the experience of like, OK, these are the embodied tools. This is a practice space. We're going to dive into the things that I'm teaching in the primer. We're going to dive into those in more details. We're going to explore the intimacy wounds. Right. We're going to really like let them land in the body and really have people be able to uncover for themselves where that lives inside of them. So they can be like, oh yeah, I also have that part of me that wants to be liked and like, and then have the practice be like, how can I meet that place? And how can I, if it gets activated in a relationship, how can I bring that to my partner in a way that is about radical self-ownership? Like, I really want to emphasize that piece because a lot of times we like, we outsource our shit onto other people. Like I have this hurt part. I want you to take care of that. And yes, we get to share that. We get to have somebody witness that part, but we are the owners of that part. <laughs> we are the responsible, you know, parents of that hurt child, let's say, you know, to use a more psychological, more psychological language. But but we do bring that, you know, we do bring that into our partnerships and we can do it even from a place of like humor. It's like, oh, yeah, I have the part of me that like wants a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of attention right now, you know, that's coming up or something. And that gets to all be part of the part of the spectrum. So that's going to be a five week course. Um, and so we're just it's really like it ends up being like two hours a week, one hours of teaching. And that's the second hour, which is not recorded, is going to be coaching. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really exciting because people actually get to have the embodied practice in real time. So cool. I've heard many people voice this, um, but, you know, a lot of people sort of have this stereotype of polyamorous relationships that they're having a lot of sex, but really that can be there too. But I can attest to that, that that that's not true, Megan. (laughs) But uh, really it's a lot of communication. And I think that that's the piece that I really admire about people who go for polyamorous relationships is they have to be like exquisite communicators. Yes. be able to talk about the tough stuff and negotiate it amongst, you know, uh, yes. And so just curious if you had any like kind of final thoughts on, on that piece, because I think, you know, it's our tendency to sort of like sexualize things. And so I think yes. bisexual or whether you're poly, like that does sort of carry, you know, a hypersexual piece to it, but it's so much yeah. more than that. And I really yeah. have found in witnessing um, my clients who've been poly, like, wow, they've got better communication skills than like most people I know. So, Yeah, so I'll, I'll share a humorous part and I'll share the more serious part. Um, so the humorous part is that like I can attest to the fact that that no polyamorous people may not be having more sex. They're doing a lot more talking. <laughs> I remember being so frustrated last year. I was like, how can I be connected to so many people and just not have them in my bed right now? Like, what is the problem? Um, but but on the more serious note, like a lot of people who come to me um, are saying like, we have a communication problem. And 
when I when I hear that, I want to I want to look a little deeper because what I hear is a communication problem is like, how is fear coming into your communication is the question that I always want to ask, because that's that's what gets us activated. That's what like creates conflict. And when we're able to we don't often feel our fear. It's just something that we just that just kind of explodes in our nervous system. And then our ego attaches a story. And then it's like, you don't appreciate me. And instead of saying like, I'm afraid that I'm not going to get back what I give to you, right? Or I don't trust that, that my giving will be reciprocated or appreciated. You know, it's like, can we name the fear? If we can be more in touch with our fear, that is that will improve the communication so much more to just name what's happening in the moment. And I teach like embodied communication. So it's like, if you don't, can identify the fear, you can just say, I'm feeling some tightness in my chest right now as you're telling me this news. And then it just brings it down to a level that, again, doesn't have labels, but just names what happen, what's happening in the moment. And she can just be with the person present in the moment. And that is a whole nother level of relating and communicating that I really want to promote more. Yeah. Oh, so good. And, you know, you talk about being like a leadership mentor and I think you really embody that and, you know, you're using like your own life and, you know, you're a psychologist and, you know, but then really doing this like innovative cutting edge stuff. And I just feel like it's such a powerful gift to to the world to to be visible and showing you know the many choices that are available to us all so yeah love witnessing your journey and um so really appreciate that um so tell people where to find you and okay yeah no (laughs) yeah you can find me um you can find i have two websites one for sort of the the business leadership and the other one for the love leadership so my business leadership website is, is www.revolutionaryromperreglas.com. And my other website is ishavela.com. You can find me on IG at revolutionary.romperreglas. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. That's where, you know, that's where I hang out. I have, you know, I use Facebook, but it's my, my concentration is really on, on IG and um, and I have a podcast called Devotional Anarchy, and um, that's sort of where I share some of the the deeper embodiment work and the 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 how to live the principles of mm-hmm. of love and business leadership. Well, I know a podcast I'm going to binge watch next. Um, and just to keep anybody listening is interested, it's R O M P E E R E G L A S. Yes. Yeah, um, we'll have that in the show notes and everything. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Megan. Megan, I'm really like just so appreciative of the way we've been connected over the last couple of years and how we keep sort of crossing over into each other's worlds and fields. Yeah, it's really great. Well, I know. I think that has been so powerful to me in kind of becoming more visible and joining the coach, coaching community and especially the pleasure community of just like having yeah. so many like I almost feel like sometimes it's like I see find someone and I'm like, is that like a parallel version of me? Like they're living with other life. I feel like, oh, there, there was, uh, you know, someone who was uh, commenting on the uh, Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing and was talking a lot about borderline and that, that that's been kind of a specialty of mine. And I was like, oh, <gasps> the person who's like 
you know, like I could be doing bad stuff, you know, it's not my, you know, my heart is telling me to go, but it has been like a big focus. And so it is just so powerful to see these incredible women leaders, you know, rising up and, um, you know, talking about the really hard stuff. Yes. Love that. Like post COVID world, you know, I feel like for me, I've been such an overachiever and that's such like a definite, like, this is what I want. And I've been doing so much like healing work. And I feel like I'm so much more, instead of being so future oriented and ambition oriented, like I just feel like it's very neutral and kind of, mm-hmm. like, more in the moment and it feels a lot better. <laughs> yeah. I feel like collectively, like feel that's the vibe right now. People are just like, let me live well right now and people are much less like planning for the future even though that's kind of like yeah that's kind of what we do but really about like let's just enjoy this summer or let's just enjoy this month like having a much more narrow focus or timeline yeah yeah i just signed up for a course about um, becoming like a sex and like getting a media page together and stuff and i'm like oh is that like my next uh Oh, nice. Good one. May I, get, I may go like full pleasure. Uh, you know, it's been a journey. But yeah, it's been, I feel like, you know, I'm sure you would say the same thing. Like, feel like such a different person than when we met like a few years ago. And yes. Open. You know, I think it's so powerful and people are vulnerable enough to like, you know, let people witness them in the journey as it's happening. They can yeah. be so- I think that's part of our job is to really humanize and normalize the journey. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, everybody go check out Isha's, you know, go check her out on IG, sign up for the workshop. I just want to check that out. So we'll see y'all next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Divine Feminine Revolution podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Want to keep the conversation flowing? Find us on Facebook at the Divine Feminine Revolution Facebook group, where revolutionary women gather to listen to their hearts, monetize their gifts, and change the world.